This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello everyone. You're listening to Speaking of Asia. I'm Ravi Velour. In this episode, I discuss the recent Bangladesh national election with the eminent geopolitics expert, Dr. Sanjay Baru. Dr. Baru has been an economics professor, editor of leading Indian financial dailies, and a speechwriter and media advisor to Dr. Manmohan Singh when he was Prime Minister of India. And as you'll hear in the background, it's another busy day in India. Welcome to Speaking of Asia, Dr. Baru. Good morning, Ravi. Dr. Baru, Bangladesh recently conducted its national election and uh, the polls saw the incumbent Awami League headed by Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina win by quite a big margin, about 222 seats in the 300-member legislature. Now, this gives her a fourth consecutive term in that position. What did you make of the elections? Well, I mean, <laughs> elections in many of our countries in this region, South Asia, are uh, elections in a matter of speaking. They, they are conducted, um, people contest, and uh, there are winners and governments are formed. But, you know, I think elections in many other democracies are, are much more structured, if I may say so. The fact that uh, significant opposition political parties did not contest election. You know, raises questions. I mean, this is not no different from what we are seeing, for example, in Pakistan. And um, I, I worry whether something of this sort may even happen uh, in India, where you have one dominant political entity kind of dominating the politics to the point where the opposition is virtually marginalized. Now, in my own view, um, and is a purely subjective view. I think all healthy democracies should have a limit on the number of terms an individual can contest. I mean, like in the United States, where the president can be there only for two terms. Uh, there has to be some kind of an exit clause. And when you don't have an exit clause in the kind of democracy that we have here in Asia, um, individual personalities tend to dominate. And then there are, of course, behind those personalities, various uh, factions and groups and Western interests, etc. So I'm not particularly happy uh, at the fact that though as an Indian uh, analyst, I would say that Hasina is a friend of India. It's good for India uh, to have a friend in office in the neighborhood. So there's a, there's a kind of a geopolitical factor here or a foreign policy factor here, uh, which uh, suits India. Uh, and uh, there are two different issues, therefore. One is uh, the fact that uh, she's a friend of India and therefore it's a welcome development for us in India to have her back in office. But then whether it's good for South Asian democracy, I'm not too sure. We will talk about the India relationship in a bit, but uh, just to stay on the subject of the election itself in Bangladesh, uh, as you said, uh, you know, one of the main aspects of the election was that the principal opposition party the uh, Bangladesh National Party did not participate in the polls. And we also saw that just before the election, the Nobel Peace Prize uh, winner, Dr. Mohamed Yunus, was sentenced to jail for some alleged wrongdoing, although he did manage to, uh, to secure bail. And it seems that turnout this time was only about half of what we saw in the 2018 polls. And some reports even say it was only 28%. 
Now, would you say there is democratic backsliding in Bangladesh? And does that affect Prime Minister Hasina's uh, legitimacy to rule the country? Well, there's certainly democratic backsliding. I mean, I've seen the numbers. The turnout is abysmal uh, by you know, South Asian standards because the fact is that in this part of the world, elections are a festival. People come out, they stand in long queues, they vote. I mean, for all the faults of uh, Indian democracy, we have seen upwards of 50% turnout across the country and in some parts of India, 60, 70, even 80% turnout. Uh, and one reason why such large numbers come out to vote in, in South Asia is because people want to feel that they have participated in, in what often is seen as a kind of a festival uh, on the day that the holiday, government is closed, schools are closed, and, and there's a lot of activity in the neighborhood. So you like to be part of the neighborhood activity. And, and given the nature of democratic participation, uh, 40% uh, even, which is the highest number, as you said, there are some questions about the numbers. 40% is abysmally low. And, and uh, democratic downsliding, of course, has been there across the region. Now, on the issue of Mohamed Yunus, I mean, Mohamed Yunus has been harassed uh, in the past, as uh, the first time, and, and he's certainly a symbol. He's certainly a symbol of, of you know, civil society in, in, in Bangladesh. And therefore, uh, to have done this to him on the eve of the election, and, and by no stretch of imagination, is Mohamed Yunus a Islamic fundamentalist. You, know, you can ex accuse some of the opposition elements of being kind of religious extremists. Uh, but, you know, he's a, uh, he's a modern man. He's doing a damn good job. Uh, he has made his mark in Bangladesh civil society. So to go after someone like him before the election, all of these add up to what you call democratic towns like. Let's just take a wider look at the country. Bangladesh has passed Pakistan in the size of its uh, economy, the gross domestic product. And in the subcontinent, its economy's size is only second uh, coming after India. And it's done pretty well on the uh, UN social development goals, and it's got global attention for that. And it also happens now to be the second biggest exporter of garments after China. In a broader Asian context, what is the significance of these polls which give Sheikh Hasina a fourth consecutive term? Yes, I mean, I think that's the real, uh, <laughs> you know, um, what should I say, the paradox, the paradox of Bangladesh, which is that on the one hand, you have what we refer to as a democratic downsliding. On the other hand, you have a highly performing economy. Uh, again, I, you know, I tend to look at all these countries within the South Asian framework, because in a sense, they, they all come from, from the same kind of background. And look at Bangladesh, how well they have done as an industrial economy, as a manufacturing economy. In fact, a lot of the Indian textile industry has shifted base to Bangladesh to be able to get to the markets that Bangladesh has accessed. And, and Bangladesh, if I'm not mistaken, but I'm saying this from memory, I think in terms of uh, purchasing power parity per capita income uh, is now actually higher than India's. And therefore, here you have a country that on human development index, as you just mentioned, has, is actually doing better than it. So Bangladesh is an economic success story. So you have an economic success story which is not doing particularly well on the democratic kind of indices. And that's a bit worrying because, you know, 
again, as an Indian, when I see it, I'm asking myself, you know, whether this is the way in which we are going, that our economy is doing reasonably well, but we are not doing particularly well on the, uh, in terms of our own democracy. So this is a paradox of Bangladesh, which incidentally, this is not true of Pakistan, where the economy is not doing badly. I mean, the economy is doing very badly. And so is its politics. There is another aspect to Bangladesh, and uh, because it neighbors Myanmar, it is also a link between the Indian subcontinent and Southeast Asia. Now, I noticed that the Chinese and Russian officials have been quick to congratulate Sheikh Hasina. How has uh, Bangladesh under Sheikh Hasina conducted its external relations? Uh, is it a geopolitical player? Well, Bangladesh is you know, located in a very interesting space. It has China on the one side and India on the other, and ASEAN on the third. Uh, so you have three very uh, distinct kind of entities, uh, geopolitical entities, on the three sides of Bangladesh. And then, of course, it has the Bay of Bengal. So Bangladeshi elite have made good use of this location. Uh, they maintain a balanced relationship with India uh, at the moment, uh, but they maintain a, a equally balanced relationship with China. And they have not uh, shied away from say, saying that they value both relationships with China and India equally, uh, which in some ways uh, echoes the ASEAN view. Uh, that uh, they would like to maintain good relations with both both countries. And I think Bangladesh has uh, certainly benefited from its relations with India, but it has benefited equally with its relations with China. And, and, and I think that gives Bangladesh a certain heft uh, in the region, uh, which one must recognize. And I think Sheikh Hasina is taking full advantage uh, of this heft. Dr. Baru, it's quite interesting that you uh, mentioned uh, the way Sheikh Hasina has played both China and India. But as I know it, India tends to get very nervous when any neighbor gets uh, remotely close to China, you know, regardless of the fact that China's size and economic heft makes it inevitable that it shows up in India's neighborhood. How has Sheikh Hasina managed to keep India on side so successfully? Well, uh, first of all, I think uh, India, at least the Indian political leadership, is increasingly coming to terms with the reality of China's influence. It has taken us uh, some time, but we are coming to terms with it. And it's not just in Bangladesh. I mean, look at Bhutan. Uh, Bhutan, which uh, had a very special relationship with India, uh, unlike the other South Asian countries, is reaching out to China. And I think recent uh, issues in Maldives suggest that you know, some of the smaller countries go too far. India still has influence to react. But Bangladesh is too big. Uh, I don't think we have the kind of influence uh, to be able to shape Bangladesh foreign policy uh, in a way that Bangladesh would not be happy with. And therefore, you have to come to terms with the fact that uh, Bangladesh will maintain good relations with both China and India. But I think in terms of um, the relationship with Sheikh Hasina, uh, you know, there is an element of people-to-people connect. I mean, there is an element of history. There is an element of memory. Don't forget that at the time when India was uh, assisting Bangladesh in the liberation struggle, 
China was with the Americans, who in fact played a nasty role uh, in the region at that time, under the guidance of Henry Kissinger. So Bangladesh uh, elite also had the memory that India stood with them at the time of Bangladesh's liberation, while uh, China did not. China was in fact uh, very close to the United States at that point in time, the early 1970s. And the USS Enterprise entered the Bay of Bengal as a message to India to kind of stop its military campaign. So all these factors uh, are to India's advantage. And interestingly, you know, in the regional uh, kind of politics of, of Eastern India, Bengal has played an interesting role. Both former Chief Minister Jyoti Basu, who was the Chief Minister for 30 years, and the present Chief Minister Mamata Banerjee, who has been there for a long time, have very good relations with Sheikh Hasina. They've maintained very good personal relations. So I think all these are, are factors. And in West Bengal, where Mamata Banerjee is the chief minister, uh, the kind of anti-Bangladeshi sentiment, which used to be there in the past, is no longer there. I think that that has been softened. So all of that plays into civil society and uh, local politics in Bangladesh, which gives uh, an element of confidence for India in dealing with Bangladesh. But there's also the contradiction that the ruling BJP party in New Delhi stresses Muslim migration into uh, eastern India as one of its key uh, planks when it goes to voters. Yes, and that's why Mamata Banerjee being there is important. I mean, BJP had to come to power in Bengal, which I don't think will ever happen. Uh, things will get dicey. Uh, Dr. Baru, I asked this question in the context of uh, potential investors looking at Bangladesh as an investment destination. For now, it looks as though political stability can be assumed, but investments are done with a longer perspective. Is there a stable second rung of leadership in both the ruling Awami League and the BNP, seeing that their leaders are both in their late 70s? No, I mean, at the moment, one doesn't see you know, what is the second rung. Uh, it has not made its presence felt. And because of which, there's always the fear, again, in this part of uh, South Asia, uh, well, look at what happened in Myanmar again and again, of the military kind of asserting itself. And the military remains an element as it has in Pakistan and in Myanmar. In Bangladesh, it remains a factor. How they will guide, incidentally, I should actually extend this metaphor to Thailand. I mean, this there is a certain kind of arc of, of military presence where the military seem to be playing an important role. And in Bangladesh, that will certainly continue to happen. Currently, what is the military's attitude to this government? If you go back to history, after winning uh, independence from cutting away from Pakistan to become Bangladesh in uh, 1971, just three years later, the military assassinated the founding father, Sheikh Mujibur Rahman, who is uh, Sheikh Hasina's uh, father. And uh, there has been a time when the military played a very key role between the BNP's last stint in power and uh, the Awami League coming to power, that Sheikh Hasina coming to power. Is there a possibility that it could happen again? I don't think at the moment, because I think Sheikh Hasina has ensured that she has the acceptance of the important players in the region. As we said earlier, China and India are both I think, supportive of Sheikh Hasina. And the fact that China and India welcomed her return to power, I think is a message to everybody in Bangladesh. 
uh, that the United States has been a bit wary about Bangladeshi democracy may also go down well <laughs> with, with the region because it's not as if people are waiting for certificates from the United States. Dr. Bharat, thank you so much for coming and speaking of Asia. Thank you. And that's a wrap for Speaking of Asia. I'm Ravi Velour. Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and family. If you'd like to read my articles, we have links in our podcast show notes below. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or within our Straits Times app. Thanks for listening.